have difficult days. In fact, Jesus tells us that every day has its own measure of troubles. And some days you may go through life with very little trouble that day, but the person next to you is having the roughest day they've ever had. And it just so happens during this time, in April of 2020, we're all kind of living the same difficult day, difficult moment, challenging times, and even troubled days. And we're sharing that in common. And so I thought it'd be a great time to just simply encourage us to use the time God has given us and ask him, Lord, how do we respond to a time like this? And it brought to my mind this quote by Albert Hubert, uh, which says, when life gives you lemon, make lemonade. His actual quote was something like, life has given me a whole bunch of lemons, so I opened a lemonade stand. And Dale Carnegie, later on in the 1940s and 50s, wrote a book, I think it was titled something like, um, uh, Don't Let Worry and Strife Ruin Your Life. And he used uh, Ebert's quote and kind of coined it, when life gives you lemons, make lemonade. And the whole point behind that was, sometimes there are difficult challenges in our lives that are hard, and it's hard to interpret, and it's hard to predict, and it's hard to respond in those times. What do we do when God gives us a moment of time like that? And I thought as we start this series that I'm going to show you this video from a TV series called This Is Us. And this is from their pilot episode, and it's about four minutes long. Watch it because it really sets up this idea that even most tragic moments in life God can use in a way that brings blessing to others. Let's watch that now. In that little clip, quite emotional, the doctor's able to relate to loss and pain and show how he also experienced loss and pain and how it produced a fruitful life. Think back to the movie, It's a Wonderful Life. If the main character, George, had not been who he was as a kid and growing up, life would have been very different. We face lots of opportunities, lots of challenges, lots of forks in the road. And as we approach those forks and have to deal with those barriers to life, the challenges and struggles with life, God gives us ample opportunity to use those moments to grow and stretch. And I think in Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 1, Paul lays out for us a beautiful truth of God regarding tough times. How do we deal with it? How do we cope with it? Because you can cope in different ways. You can become a turtle and isolate yourself and ignore what's going on, put your head in the sand, or you can be oblivious to it, or you can handle it the way God tells us. And he tells us, starting in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The very start of this, in order to get a concept and handle and grip on overcoming barriers and using challenges and troubles of life, for the benefit of God is we have to have this thing first. 
We have to have this ultimate peace with God, this ultimate sense and understanding that I am right with God. In a spiritual sense, I am right with God. I am clear. There's no barrier between me and God. And it all focuses on being justified through faith through our Lord Jesus Christ. That idea of being justified by faith is another way of saying, I've believed God and God has forgiven my sins. He has made me as if I've never sinned, ever. And before him, he sees not a weak, growing older, growing bald, middle-aged man. He sees his resurrected, glorified son, Jesus Christ. Through him, he sees me and knows me and understands me. And we have that relationship, and you have that relationship with him because of what Christ has done, what we've celebrated over the last several weeks, Lent and Easter. And so we have this peace with God, this ultimate peace, this ending of war and hostility, this establishment of friendship and relationship and enjoyment of each other. Only through Jesus Christ can you have that with God. There is no other way. No other religion offers it. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ offers that ultimate peace that gives us safety, security, comfort, and just the warmth of the Father's embrace. So Paul starts out, and he's going to deal with troubles and hardships, but he starts out with, hey, you have to have this set first. There's no quote, there's no nice story, there's not an emotional video that will help you through this if this is not true of you. This must be true of you, that I am at peace with God, and God is at peace with me. And we have a relationship where I can cry out, Abba, Father, and he hears me. I can walk boldly into the throne room through the blood of Christ and say, Father, help, and he helps. Where we walk through that curtain that is no longer there and we say father you are great and he says thank you for thinking of me where we offer up our praises unhindered by sin and separation there is no gulf between us there is no road between us there's no ceiling between us it is face-to-face -face communion with God and that only happens through faith in Jesus Christ, believing that he truly is the Son of God and resting all hope on him and him alone for your rightness with God. Don't look to your good works. Don't look to uh, being generous. Don't look to being kind and, and faithful in the family relationships. No, no, no. All of those things are good and right, but that doesn't make you at peace with God. What makes you at peace with God is the finished, complete work of Jesus Christ given freely to you by faith. Now Paul picks up in Romans 5, verse 2, the next part of this idea. He says, through whom, that is through Jesus Christ, we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. He shows us grace here and hope. He tells us, first of all, where do we stand? Where is our position? Where is, where am I planted? I'm planted in this concept, this attribute of God 
called grace, undeserved, unmerited love and favor. Undeserved, unmerited love and favor. That's where I stand. That's the room in which encompasses me. When God sees me and I see God, we are not confined by the space of the room that we're in right now, whether it's in a church building or whether it's in your house or whether it's in your car, no matter where you are. God doesn't see us in that confined space. He sees us in this overwhelmingly huge space of eternal grace, undeserved, unmerited love and favor. That's where we stand. That's where we start the journey of how do I live my life? How do I reach Pueblo? How do I love those around me? How do I forgive? How do I overcome anger? How do I overcome worry and fear and depression? I need to be reminded of what Paul says here. I stand and gained access by faith into grace in which we now stand. That's where I'm planted. I am planted and I reside in this room of God's grace. All of a sudden, you can see that there is comfort here. That's part of the peace that I can breathe in and breathe out and the weight of this world just falls off your shoulders because you're in his throne room of grace. That's where you are. That's where you stand. That's where you reside. And that's why Scripture tells us we're just pilgrims walking through this land. We have responsibilities here, and we fulfill those, but this isn't our final destination. And, and really, in a, in a weird spiritual way, I'm already present with God spiritually because that's where Jesus is. And God sees me through Jesus in this throne room of grace that's accessed by faith, believing that he truly is who he says he is and acting upon it. And Paul says this is now our boast of hope. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. It's the glory of God that we see. It's the glory of God that we talk about. It's the glory of God that we think about. And this idea of the glory of God is his defined perfection. Everything that Scripture has to say about God and everything that nature has revealed to God, revealed about God, is in this concept, the glory of God. It is his radiant perfection. And that is what we boast about. That is what we are to proclaim to the world. That is what our conversations should be riddled with, peppered with, salted with. This idea of God's amazing nature and character. His perfection, his holiness, his eternity, his loving kindness, his long-suffering, his patience to have the patience of God <laughs> would be simply amazing. My patience wears thin. It is super short at times. And we have to remind ourselves, look at the patience of God towards us. Wow, he's patient. He's dealt with me these many years, maybe decades. That is something to boast about. That is something to declare and proclaim and be prideful over, that our God is a God of glory, 
He's not a God of mystery and confusion and uncertainty and unpredictability. He's a God that knows the past, the present, and the future. And he says, you sit and stand and are planted in a room of grace where that is evident and clear and true. It's not just a pie-in-the-sky wishful thinking. It is true that we stand with Christ in a room that is planted in grace, and we see the glory of God, all of his perfection and uniqueness and ability and promise and fulfillment and power. And it is if Paul says, that is what you should shout about. That is what you should raise your hands in praise towards heaven for. That this God has entered into a peaceful relationship with us. Not because of our ability. Not because we're strong. Not because we're the cream of the crop or the best of the best. But because he loved us. He loved us. Undeserved, unmerited love and favor. Now Paul continues in verse 3 and 4 and kind of makes sure that we're not living just in this spiritual realm. I mean, this is all spiritual truth, but there's practical application to it. There's real life nuts and bolts. If this is true of us, if I'm at peace with God, if I am firmly planted in a, a, a room that is just made of grace, and I see God as he truly is, and I boast about his glory and might and power and majesty because I am ushered into this room because of Christ, if that is true, listen to verse 3 and 4. Not only so, so Paul's saying, so not only is this true, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. So not only do we reside boasting about God's glory, being surrounded by grace and peace and God's glory, but we also can look at our present-day moment and Paul says we can glory in our sufferings. Glory in our struggles. Glory in our pains. Glory in our unmet, unfulfilled expectation of what the future should bring. Really, Paul? Do you really think this has any application today? What we're going through and struggling with, with the uncertainties of what the next day will bring. Certainly, Paul, this is bigger than what you ever expected. You're talking about, oh, I got into a car accident. Oh, someone close to me passed away. I got sick. You're talking about small individual things. You cannot be talking about something as widespread that affects the entire world like this virus is doing right now. Paul doesn't put any exceptions on this truth. God doesn't. There's no exception 
Suffering, if it's personal, I can handle it, and God will bring me through it. But suffering on a wide, worldwide scale, is it possible? Same thing applies, absolutely. He says that suffering, know, know, that is think, reason, put your mind at rest, and your worries disappear, because all of these sufferings produces perseverance. This idea of patience, this idea of, I shall overcome this. It produces in us a will and energy to fight through it because we know this can't separate me from God. This can't destroy me. Yes, this can take my life. It can take the life of a loved one. It can destroy an economy. Yes, it can do all that, but it doesn't change the fact of what happens in verse 1. I'm justified and I'm at peace with God and I'm surrounded in this room of grace and I look at God and I can't help but boast about his greatness and his glory and his power regardless of what the world might show me, regardless of what the fear headline might be. I can't, I can't give in to that fear. I can't give in to that worry and anxiety. That's not the world I live in. That's not the world that God has planted me in. He's planted me in this world that's surrounded by his presence. And it's a presence of mighty grace. And he says in this moment of suffering, you can glory in it because it's going to produce in you perseverance. That continuous momentum forward. God wants us to continually move forward with this, with whatever struggle or strife or suffering is. He's not denying that they're suffering. He's not saying ignore it and call it something different. It is suffering. But in that, realize you have the responsibility to move forward in your Christian living. To move forward, not to give up. As Churchill said, never surrender. We can't surrender. We're surrounded by God's grace and protection and peace. There's nothing to surrender to. The world is dead to me. The world no longer is my home. It's not my calling. It's not my passion. My passion is the kingdom of God. My passion is the pronouncement of the gospel and seeing sinners saved and saints renewed and strengthened so that when they see Christ on that final day, whether he returns and brings us home or whether the grave takes us first, that I would be able to hear those words, well done, a good and faithful servant. So that perseverance then produces character. Character. God is more concerned about your character than your comfort. I probably have said that in a sermon at some point hundreds of times. God is more concerned about your character than your comfort. He does bring us comfort, and he promises us worldly comforts. But he's more concerned, more focused on what is their character like. Under pressure, what will they show the world? Under stress, what will they show their family? I have... Countless times, countless times, failed, failed 
as a father and as a husband in demonstrating godly character under pressure. And I'd love to say it's just this genetic disposition I have that I have a short fuse when things are tough. And it's just kind of how I am. And use that as an excuse. It doesn't matter if it's part of my DNA and part of just who I am. God says that's the part of you that needs to be chiseled away. And the way he chisels it away, in part, is through sufferings, through challenges that would show my character brilliantly and brightly to the world around, that it is the fruit of the Spirit. Not bitterness, not worry, not anger, not frustration, but love, peace, joy, kindness, happiness, self-control. So suffering puts in front of us a hard road that we continually walk, that as we walk through it, as we wade through it, the little bits and parts of us that we give excuses to, oh, I'm just short-fused, short-tempered, slowly and slowly fall to the wayside. And what's left as we walk through the trials and tribulations of this world, what's left as we walk through the sufferings is Christ's character in me. It's his love, his patience, his understanding, his kindness, his long-suffering, his joy, his conviction of truth, and his compassion of mercy. And all of this then produces hope. We then, this is something we receive from the process, we receive hope. Right now, the world is hoping and wishing some of these quarantines are lifted soon. The world is hoping and wishing that they financially will be able to get through this. They are hoping and wishing that their friends or themselves don't get sick. They're hoping and wishing that the normalcy of life that is good would return as soon as possible. That's not our hope. Yeah, we may want that, but our hope doesn't reside in how the world reacts and interacts with us. Our hope resides in this relationship that I have with God because as I see the suffering and as I persevere through it and as God works through my character, I realize this relationship I have with God is absolutely real and genuine. It's a real and genuine relationship and I am able to stand with boasting in my lips that my God is great and greatly to be praised. And it's hard. But my God is great and greatly to be praised. But it's hard. My God is great and greatly to be praised. But this is hard. What hope we have. What immeasurable comfort walking through a suffering produces in us. It produces hope and a knowledge that my relationship with God is spot on. It's not perfect. God has a lot of work to do in our lives. A lot of work to make us more like his son. 
But working through that and seeing that character built demonstrates there is a trueness to this relationship I have with God. It is a true relationship. He then continues in verse 5 and summarizes this section and says, And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So I think this is Paul's way of saying, again, this is not the hope and wishes that things would get better, that the world has. This isn't some model drawn drawn up by a statistician that says, oh, this is what the future will be. And so you hope that that model is correct. You hope that they can guess how the future will be. No, no, no. This is a an assured understanding that my relationship with God is real and true. So I hope that that relationship, I hope in it, I see it, it is real in me, and Paul builds upon it, and it's not a shameful hope. It's not a hope that will disappoint. It's not a hope that will fail. It's a real, genuine hope. Why? I know it sounds like a pat answer to many things in Scripture, in our relationship with God, but it's because of his love. Because God's love. God's love hasn't trickled into your life. It hasn't been dopped in your life. It is poured into your heart. He fills our heart. Just like we pray each and every morning, Lord, renew your loving kindness to me, renew your strength in me, create in me a clean heart, let me live this life of mercy and forgiveness reflected to the world around me that it may draw others into a relationship with you. And at the same time that it would refine my character so that I would have assurance and hope that our relationship is right and true. Pours it into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who we're told in Scripture is basically a down payment for our inheritance. Again, more evidence and more proof that I have a relationship with God when he brings conviction upon me, when he whittles away those difficult parts of my character and replaces it with Christ's character. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. It's the work of the Holy Spirit to reassure us of our relationship. It's even the work of the Holy Spirit to pray on our behalf when we don't know what to pray for. It's okay to go to God and say, God, I really don't know what's going on with my life, but this is hard. Help. And the Holy Spirit takes over and says, Tim, whoever, I'm on your side, and we're going we're to reestablish, and we're going to build that relationship that you have with God in a time such as this. I'm here with you to take care of you and to nurture you and to guide you, and to remind you, and to take you from this spot of suffering where there's maybe worry and fear and anxiety to a spot of great contentment. I don't deny the circumstances, but I deny that they have a lasting effect to drag me down. Instead, they build me up into a firmer, more established relationship with the God who surrounds me with grace. 
This is very similar to what James says in James chapter 1, where he says, Consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds, because the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete. That's basically working on our character. Not lacking anything. God can bring us through this. God is bringing us through this. Maybe not with all the comforts that we had a month before. The comforts of this world. But he's bringing us through it with something even far better. A challenge and change and maturity to our character. To our character. Being a self-reliant optimist is not the point here. It's not the point at all. As if all you have to change is the way of your thinking. Try harder and you will find the silver lining in anything. That's not what God is calling us to. Next slide. Self-reliant optimism is not the point. The point is not to fool yourself or convince yourself something better is down the road in my life. What we do is we remind ourselves someone better is in my life. And that someone who is better in my life brings about good change that I can hope in, that I can boast about. That as James says, I can have joy, joy, happiness in whatever I'm going through. God is the one who brings about godliness and maturity and takes whatever the lemon moments might be in our life and brings us to life. This is not about trying to get rid of the lemons, trying to get out of the uncomfortable spot, trying to get out of the suffering. It's taking that suffering and using it in a way that honors and glorifies God and produces in us endurance, perseverance, hope, faith, eventually character that models the character of Jesus Christ. Something to take home today, and we're going to watch this short video clip from Lord of the Rings with Frodo and Gandalf having a conversation about wouldn't it be better if we didn't ever experience this? What a beautiful scene about re-encouraging Frodo, who is questioning this whole thing. Should I have been put on this journey? It is hard. I'm losing friends. I should never have picked up the ring. And Gandalf reminds him, you were made for such a time as this. We all of us were made for such a time as this. It is not a mistake that we are living in these days. God has said, you're living in these days. Get in that boat and persevere. Journey through this and see if he does not prove himself to be a God that we can boast about. Regardless of the circumstances, they don't define us. 
What defines us is this room of grace that God has surrounded us in and the relationship that we have with God the Father through Jesus Christ. You were meant for times like this. You were meant to mature through times like this. There will be more times like this. Maybe not exactly like it, but there will be other moments of personal and group sufferings. We need to take all those moments and make it a time of growth and action. How do we do that? You know the answer. It's to take moments throughout your day and read. Read Scripture. It's taking moments throughout the day and praying. It's taking moments where you have the opportunity with the people that surround you to love them. And it's time to hope. To hope in the right thing. To hope in the right person. Not the experts of the world. Not the politicians of the world. Not the business leaders of the world. It's time to hope in the person and work of Jesus Christ. He will bring you peace. He will bring you hope. He plants you firmly in a room surrounded by nothing but God's grace. And he puts in your heart, in moments like this, joy, peace, loving kindness, self-control, and love. Let's pray. Father, it is hard to find meaning and purpose sometimes when we go through things because we want answers. We want to know the future. We don't have to worry about the future. So many times in Scripture you tell us, don't worry about tomorrow. Today has enough of its troubles. Deal with today. So, Father, we are here today before your throne. No matter what room we are in, We are all, as your church, in that room of grace, firmly planted, desiring for our character to be improved so that we might boast in moments like this with joyful, sincere hearts so that the world would look and see what is different. And we could proclaim to them, Father, It's not my optimism. It's not not our denial of reality. But it's this person and work of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you about him. Father, give us opportunities in time to give that message to the world that is hurting and fearful and scared and isolated all around us. Give us courage, Father to be bold ambassadors for your grace. In Jesus' name, all of God's people said, Amen.